It's so significant. What is it that you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? We want to know where you're staying. Well, there's a couple of titles that come up here that we've already seen. We've already seen Lamb of God. That's John's testimony. That's his witnessing. That is the Lamb of God. And we spent a whole whack of time last week looking at what the Lamb of Oz was, you know, for the replacement as Abraham, you know, sacrificed, going to sacrifice his son all the way through the Passover Lamb. The Lamb that takes away the sin of the world. So we won't spend any more time on that because we did last week. But then the disciples say, they call him Rabbi. 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 And what they mean by that in response to John's testimony is that, is that you are a teacher. And it's the idea of initiating discipleship. And they say, listen, we think that you've got something to teach us. This guy that we've been following says that you're significant. So why don't you spend some time teaching us? We'd like to kind of be your disciple. You are somebody that has something to teach us. We want to follow you and you become a model for our living. And we could see Jesus as that, couldn't we? And a lot of people do that. Jesus is a great moral teacher. And we hear that all of the time. But what John is going to say is that, no, no, as we unfold this through the rest of the gospel, he's going to say that he is more than just a teacher or a model for living. He actually is going to be the one that is the revealer of ultimate truth. Ultimate truth. And so what do you see? Do you see Jesus as, as just a rabbi, as just a good moral teacher, or is he somebody that holds the ultimate absolute truth that dictates everything that goes on in life? What is it, who is it that you see? Let's carry on, verse 39. <clears throat> Come, he replied, and you'll see. So they went and they saw where he was staying, and they spent that day with him, and it was about the 10th hour Four in the afternoon. Uh, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what Jesus, what John had said, and they who had followed Jesus. The first thing that Andrew did was find his brother Simon and tell him, "We have found the Messiah." That means the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus, and Jesus looked at him and said, "You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas." which translated is Peter. Now, when Andrew says, listen, hey, we, we found the Messiah. We found the Christ. He wasn't thinking of Savior and Messiah as you and I are. He had this Jewish idea, as we know, of this is the one that God is going to send who probably is going to take up a sword and throw Rome off our neck. He's probably going to raise up Israel and we're going to be the mighty, wonderful, marvelous nation that we were before. That's what it means by the Messiah. And it could be that that was how most people saw Jesus as going to be the failed Messiah. But of course, we can see something else, can't we? And John's going to unfold what it is to be the Messiah through the rest of the gospel. Because we think that Jesus came not to throw the yoke of Rome off of Israel, but to throw the pressure of sin and death from us. So what do you see? Do you see in Jesus a national hero who in the end failed? Or do you see him as the savior of the world? What do you see? What do you believe about him? Well, then we carry on with verse 43. Where is Jesus of Nazareth, son of Joseph? 
The next day, Jesus decided to leave Galilee. And finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. And Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was found in the town of Bethsaida. They all kind of know each other, in other words. And Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, son of Joseph. And then the famous line, Nazareth. Can anything come from just down the road from where we live? Can anything good that comes from Nazareth, Nathaniel asked? Come and see, said Philip. Jesus of Nazareth, son of Joseph. That's all the information that was needed in that culture to figure out who this person is as a human being. He's got a place where he's from and his lineage, put him in his family, put him in his tribe. This is Jesus. He is just a man and he's not from much of a place. Nazareth, a little nowhere, nowhere town. But here's what's going on. This whole thing is we're going to see that this is a bit of an inside joke. And the Gospel of John writer, John the Apostle, had sort of led us into that joke already. Because he said at the beginning, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was from God. And so we kind of know that actually Jesus is from God. But here's, here's the thing, can anything good come from Nazareth? Now, as you go through the Gospel of John, eight times, eight times, people are going to ask, hey, we, we know this guy. We know where he's from. Can anything good from him? Or well, we don't know where he's from. Why are we making him the Messiah? Well, he, we just know that he's, he's, he's the son of Joseph. And eight times. And so the first time that it's asked is, is here with Nathaniel. And the last time it's asked is by Pilate. Is by Pilate. Nathaniel asks this. You see, this whole first chapter, chapter one, is the first week of Jesus' public ministry. And on day five, it's asked, Where's he from? And you're going to go all the way down. So from here on in, this is the last week of Jesus' ministry. Chapter 12, all the way following, is all the Passion Week. It's the seven days. So this is the first seven days of Jesus' ministry. This is the last seven days of Jesus' ministry. And on the fifth day of his last week on life, Pilate asked that question. Look at what he says. The Jewish leaders insisted, because Pilate said, let him go. The Jewish leaders insisted, we have a law, and according to that law, he must die. Why? Because he claimed to be the son of God. He claimed to come from God. Now look what Pilate says. When Pilate heard this, he was even more afraid, and he went back inside the palace, and what's the question that he asks? Where do you come from? It's this theme of where is Jesus from? What is he all about? He asked Jesus, but Jesus gave him no answer. You see, in Pilate's mind, now he had a pagan understanding of Son of God. He wasn't thinking like, like we think Son of God. But what's happened on the fifth day and the first week, and what had question on the fifth day of the seventh week, all comes down to where is Jesus from? Is he just a nobody man from a little town called Nazareth that means nothing? Or is he in fact the Son of God, who is God himself? It's a little inside joke that, that John is telling us all about. So what do you see? Do you see a nobody man from a no place? Or do you see as the son of God who comes from the very heart of the Trinity? Well, let's carry on. Next witness, beginning with the verse, uh, what are we up to? We're up to verse 47. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said to him, Here truly 
is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Well, how do you know me? Nathaniel asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathaniel declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. So we're invited to see in this statement now what Pilate sort of hinted at. We can't possibly see the Son of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the second person of the Trinity. We can see Jesus as that person. But of course, Nathaniel wasn't really saying that. Because you see, what Son of God was in, in Nathaniel's mind in that time was kind of like a title. Because if you trace Son of God through the Bible, sometimes Israel itself is called God's Son. Some of the kings of Israel are called the Son of God. Some of those who lead God's people are called the sons of God. And so it could be that we could see him as either son of God, second person of the Trinity, or son of God as a title, just that he's kind of a good guy who serves the king of the universe. What do you see? Who is he? What do you believe in the son of God? It could be just king of Israel. That's what verse 48 was all about. A king just like David who would rescue Israel. Or do we see him as the king of the Israel of faith? All the children of Abraham who come to God by faith. All those who are in the kingdom of God over all of the world. So what do you see? What do you believe? Who is Jesus? Just one who is a leader of some people in Israel, or is he in fact the Lord and King of the universe? Well, there's one more witness that's sort of called up, and it's Jesus himself. Let's pick it up in verse 50. Jesus said, You believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. Well, you're going to see even greater things than that. Then he added very truly. Now this, by the way, when you see, you'll see throughout the Gospel of John, when Jesus is going to say something very, very significant, this is a code word. And it'll be in your Bible, so truly, truly, or very truly, I say to you, it's something that John says to say, hey, this is when you really need to sit up and pay attention. Truly, truly, I tell you, you'll see the heavens open up and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. So Son of Man. Son of Man is Jesus' favorite way to talk about himself. And in many ways, it just means Jesus is saying, hey, you know what? I'm, I'm the son of man. I'm, I'm a human being. And it could, it could mean that, that I'm the son of a man. And Jesus kind of fills in the content. But other than that, you can see something else. You can see Jesus pulling back into the Old Testament and see Jesus speaking about a passage in Daniel chapter 7, which we sing a song about that. We see him coming in the clouds. Let's take a look at what it says in Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. In my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one like the Son of Man. And he was coming with the clouds of heaven. And he approached the Ancient of Days. So this is the Son of Man going from earth into the heavenlies, right? Not the other way around. Lots of times we think about it coming this way. This actually is going the other way. And so the Son of Man, and he approached the Ancient of Days. And he was led into his presence. And he was given authority and glory and sovereign powers. And all of the nations and peoples of every language worshipped 
him. And so you see, the dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. And so when Jesus says, hey, I'm the son of man, what do you see? Do you see somebody that's just saying, hey, you know, I'm just a guy and I'm just trying my best and I'm going to do a little bit of teaching and I'm going to, uh, you know, heal a few people and so on, but I'm just a man. Or do you see the son of man who would ascend on high and sit at the right hand of the father and is enthroned in heaven? What do you see? What do you believe? Who is the son of man? Just a man or the great saving Messiah who reigns from the throne room of heaven. And so there are these seven witnesses and they come and they say, hey, this, this, is our, this is our testimony. This is who he is. And it can be taken on several different levels. I, of course, want to suggest that he is all the second level ones. The divine, marvelous Messiah who reigns from on high and will one day return. But depending on who you see him as, man, that's very different as to what we ask him. And so when Jesus comes to you and this teacher we find in the scriptures here comes and says to you, what do you want? If he's just a guy, maybe you can pick up a few little gems of wisdom to live your life by. But if he is in fact God himself, king of the universe, then what we can say to him about what we want is so much more, isn't it? So what is it that we want? Well, I don't know about you, but there's a bunch of things that I want in here. Number one is I want to be forgiven. This whole title about, hey, there's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I want that. I need that. I need my sin to be removed from me. I need to be forgiven. I need to be washed clean. I need to be made new. I need the blood of the Lamb to be sacrificed and spilled out for my sake so that I can live eternity with God. The other thing I want to do is I want to hang out with Jesus. I want to kind of be like those disciples of, of John the Baptist when he said, hey, there goes the Lamb of God who come to Jesus and they say to him, where are you staying? Which is a polite way of them saying, I want to be your disciple. I want to be your follower. I want to spend time with you. I want to get to know you. I want to be one who is governed in their life by you. I want to hang out with Jesus I want to hang out with Jesus in his word. I want to hang out with Jesus in prayer. I want to hang out with Jesus in worship. I want to hang out with Jesus in service. And sometimes I want to hang out with Jesus in silence. The interesting thing about hanging out with Jesus and being a disciple and following him, because Jesus says, follow me. What the problem is, as we go through the gospel of John, you'll see that the pathway of Jesus and following Jesus is also the way of the cross the way of crucifying ourselves, the way of dying to ourself and living for him. But I still want to hang out with Jesus. I want to be an invitation card. Did, did you notice in there what, what happens that, that people, they just keep saying, well, just come and see. Hey, we think that this is Jesus. We think he's the Messiah. Can anything, just come and see. Hey, we think we found it. Just come and see. In the face of skepticism, what they said was, just come and see. See, how that's the chain about how people get to know about Jesus, is by those of us who have met Jesus to be a living invitation card to other people. So John the Baptist says to Andrew, hey, Andrew, there goes the, the Lamb of God. And Andrew goes against his brother, Peter, hey, Peter, come and see the Lamb of God. And Philip goes against his brother, Nathaniel, hey, Nathaniel, come and see the Lamb of God. 
We don't know everything that he is. We don't understand everything that's going to happen. We just know that somebody very, very significant in his here, and he has already made a difference in our lives by the things that he's taught. So just be an invitation card. It takes the pressure off. When we understand that, we're just supposed to be living invitation cards. There's all kinds of questions that people have about Jesus, and there's all kinds of criticism that people have about the church and Christians and all these kind of things. We don't have to answer all those things. We can't answer all those things. We can kind of say, I don't know, but this is who Jesus is to me. Why don't you come and see? Why don't you come and just spend a year with Jesus? Come and see. Come and see the difference that Jesus makes in people's lives. Come see the difference that Jesus can make in your life. Just come and travel with us as a community and hang out with Jesus and come and see who he is. I want to be given a new name. You know, it's the first thing that happens when Simon, who we know is Peter, comes. He comes and sees Jesus. The first thing that Jesus says to him, you know what, uh, I'm going to call you Peter. I'm going to take authority in your life and I'm going to give you a new name. Uh, you see, and in those days, names meant something. They identified the character. They defined the personhood. And, and man, I need a new name from Jesus. I need lots of new names from Jesus. I remember the first time that I was... Uh, kind of encounter with this, I was reading a book called uh, Wounds That Heal. It's a good book by Stephen Siemens. It's about taking the junk in our lives and taking them to the cross, putting them in front of Jesus and asking where is Jesus in the midst of all of these things. It's a good book. And in one of the chapters there, he talks about how God, if you go through the Bible, God gives people new names. And I remember, you know, I was just reading this book, just trying to do my homework, because I was in a class, and don't you hate it when you're just innocently going along and the Holy Spirit stops you dead in your tracks? And it's like God said to me, Alan, what's your name? I said, well, my name is Joan, just a good name. He said, no, it isn't. What's your name? As I thought about that, I realized how much I like to be in control of my own life. Hey, I bet you a lot of us figure out that we're kind of, our name is controller. We just went through that pandemic when we couldn't, you know, dictate all these things. We like to be in charge. And I said, man, you know what? My name is controller. I mean, I don't, not, honestly, I don't try and control other people. That's not what I'm into. But I want to have control over me. I want to control my schedule, my food, my thoughts, my job. My name was controller. And the problem with that is, of course, this is deception, isn't it? Because we can't control. We can't. And I realized that God wanted to change my name from controller to truster. A new name. New name. And he's been kind of trying to work that out in me because it takes me a long time to change my name. So how about you? When the living God comes to you and says, hey, you know, what do you want from me? Do you want a new name? Is your name shame? Is your name fear? Is your name guilt? Is your name pride? Is your name isolation? Is your name resentment? Is your name controller? 
What is it that life has put on you that's given you a name? And maybe you, like me, want to come to Jesus and, and get a new name. I want to be a recipient and I want to be a giver. Now, oh, God help us. There's so much funky stuff that goes on in the Gospel of John. And honestly, we're just kind of doing, 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 skipping across the surface because it is deep stuff, complicated stuff. So I'm trying to resist myself, but I can't help you with the next two things. So the next one I'm going to talk about next. I'll just do that. If I see you dropping off. I need this to just kind of zero in in a minute because I've I got to get a little bit, a little bit technical here, okay? So just, just kind of hang with me if you can, okay? Because uh, what we're going to look at is something that as non-Jews and people who are not very familiar with the Old Testament, most of us, kind of miss. But these Jewish readers who are steeped in the Old Testament would be like, oh, okay, and you know, they'd, have, they'd understand that words link and all this kind of stuff. So... Do you remember when Nathaniel comes to Jesus and what does Jesus say? Oh, true is right in whom there is no deceit. I saw you under the fig tree. Now this whole thing about a fig tree is significant. Okay? It's kind of weird. Like why, what, what's the big deal about a fig tree? Well, it's because John's trying to say, hey, 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 I want, to, I want you to, in your mind, in your hearts, to link something here about this fig tree. So what is the fig tree? Well, the fig tree is very often in Israel the symbol of God's blessing and peace and prosperity. Okay, that's what the fig tree stands for. God's blessing and his peace and his prosperity. We see there's a bunch of places it appears, but one of the first places it appears is, is when King Solomon when King Solomon, you know, David did all the warring and everything, and then Solomon consolidated the kingdom, things were good. And so we, this is what we read, for example, to describe the blessing of Solomon's reign. During Solomon's lifetime, Judah and Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, lived in safety, everyone under their own vine and under their own fig tree. You see what he's saying? He's saying that Israel, when it's living under the blessing of God, when people are living under the blessing of God, God is going to grant them peace. Like it was under King Solomon. And prosperity, your own vine, and your own fig tree. And then what happened was, that whole thing about about being under the fig tree, it became a code word for living under the Messiah. That, that when the Messiah would come, that when the one that God is going to send to deliver his people, when he would arrive, then the, the fig tree and living under the fig tree is a description of that new age, of that new people. And we can see that in a couple of the prophets. Let's look at Micah chapter 4, verse 4. It says, Mike is going to talk about, hey, things are kind of bad right now, but things are going to get good. Things are going to be well. How do we know it's going to be well? Well, everyone's going to sit under their own vine and under their own fig tree, and no one will make them 
afraid. That whole thing about fear is going to be a bit of a deal too. And no one will make them afraid for the Lord Almighty has spoken. They don't have to be afraid because they are living in a time of peace because the Lord is there and you're going to be under your own fig tree. Zephaniah chapter 3 verse 13, similar thing. Talking about the time of the new age when, when, when the Messiah comes. When the Messiah comes, then you'll do no wrong. There'll be no lies. There'll be no deceit. Nathaniel, one who, in whom there is no guile, in whom there is no deceit. A deceitful tongue will not be found in their mouths. You see what's going on? It's this whole thing that Jesus is saying, hey, listen, what's going on here is that, is that I am the Messiah and the time of your blessing is coming. The time of the new Israel has arrived. The time when God's people will sit in prosperity and in peace and they don't have to have fear and there'll be no lies, there'll be no deceit in their mouths and all will be right. And Nathaniel, you are a model. You are kind of the first person that I'm going to describe to you that as you come in to become my disciple, the new creation, the new Israel is about to begin. The blessing of God is about to be poured out on you and the people that you represent. You point to the reconstituted people of God, blessed by him when the Messiah comes. And I want that. I want to sit under the fig tree at God's office. But of course, the reason that God made Israel a blessing and makes you a it gives you our blessing is so that we become blessings to other people too. It's not just so that we become the people of God and isn't that good and all the rest, you know, too bad for you. No, God puts us in places of peace and prosperity and blessing and safety and truthfulness so that we can invite other people and be a blessing to other people in the same way. There's one other thing that this whole little bit and this whole deal about deception ties in because, because John's going to tie things together a little bit. The last thing that I've got written down there for me that I want to ask God is I want to be a people in the presence. I, wrote, I read a, uh, a book on worship one time called People in the Presence. It's a, it's a Greek book, and that's, so that's why I, I have that there. And it's this whole thing about these, these words that Jesus uh, speaks to the disciples. You believe because I told you, you saw you under the fig tree, you'll see greater things than that. Very truly, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. There's a story about a deceiver in the Bible. Do you remember it? We know that he's a deceiver because that's what his name means. His name is Jacob. Remember that? Jacob deceives his father and tricks and deceives his brother and steals his brother's birthright. And then when Esau finds out, Esau was a man of the field, a man that was ruddy of complexion, a guy that was so hairy, he thought, you know, dad thought it was a goat. And Jacob realizes, and he says when he finds out that, that Jacob stole his birthright, he said, truly you have the right name, Jacob, deceiver, one who grasps the heel, one who deceives, one who is a trickster. And so Jacob runs for his life. We can read about this in Genesis chapter 37 and 38. 
And as Jacob's running away, because his mum says, hey, go you know, to my relatives and get yourself a wife and all that stuff. As he's running away, he comes to a place where he has to sleep. Remember this? And he, he, he looks down a rock and he puts his head on a rock and he falls asleep. And when he's asleep, this deceiver, this one who actually is full of deceit, has this vision. And he had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching up into the heavens. And the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, and the God of Isaac, And I'll give you and your descendants the land in which you are lying. And when Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place. And I was not aware of it. And he was afraid. And he said, how awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. You see what Jesus is doing? He's saying, hey, remember this whole story where there was this, there was this staircase, this stairway, this ladder, and it opened up heaven, and you could get from heaven on. It's where heaven touched earth, and where earth can be going up into heaven, and the people, the, the beings of God, the angels are ascending and descending. You want to know something? I am, as I am lifted up on the cross, I become that ladder. I become the place where heaven touches earth. I become the access into heaven. I become the place where God is present and you will worship. And he's letting up himself to take over the temple here as we're going to see in a couple of chapters. I am the ladder, says Jesus. I'm the one that gives you access to heaven. I'm God who's come and touched down to earth. I am Bethel, the house of God. And when you're in my presence... You are in the presence of the living God. And the only reasonable response to being in the presence of the living God is to do what Jacob did when he realized it, and that is to worship, to dwell in his presence. And so I want to dwell in the presence of God. And I want to worship him while I'm surrounded by angels bringing God's message to us. So what do you see? What do you think about these witnesses and the seven things that they say that Jesus is? That now John is going to take the whole rest of the book to flesh out for us exactly what that means. Do you see this guy, this moral teacher, this one who's kind of a failed Messiah, but he taught a few good things? Or do you see the living God come in the flesh from the Father? to reign forever and be our staircase to heaven and to make us like Nathaniel, the first ones of the new creation. What do you see? And what do you want from him? New name? Be in his presence? Be his disciple? What do you want from him? What do you need from him? So what's going to happen is uh, Dave's going to come and he's going to play a little bit for us and we're going to give you a chance to, to pray. 
And I'd just like you to think about of these seven witnesses and of who Jesus is, what, what's maybe particularly meaningful for you today? Well, maybe you don't know Jesus and you're just kind of wrestling, well, what do I believe about him? And, and just before God, just ask the Holy Spirit, hey, come and you know, show me, Holy Spirit. And then ask yourself, today, for today and for this week, the living God of the universe is standing before you and he's saying to you in his great grace, oh, you're kind of behind me? What do you want? What do you want? Almighty God, we recognize that we dwell in your presence and we hear you ask, what do we want?